So I'm going to continue on today and talk about incarnating Christ. Now, incarnating is an interesting word. Um, it's a very religious word. It's a word that talks about uh, becoming flesh. And Jesus lived with God. He was God. And the Son of God decided to incarnate himself and become flesh. He was given birth to by a virgin and uh, we beheld him and he was displaying himself as God in the flesh. He came to do the very thing that we celebrated to give his life as a, as a ransom for us to pay for our sin by his death. He was going to die in our place instead of we dying. He would die for us. He came to do that so that God would be glorified and so that we could come back to God. And in, in incarnating himself, he came into our world, into our lives and into our society and showed us what God looked like in the flesh. So when he walked around, we beheld him and we saw God in the flesh. And uh, when uh, Thomas would say, or something I think it was Philip would say, you know, show us the Father, he said, have I been with you all this time and you haven't known me? I am the Father. The Father and I are one. He was displaying to us what it looked like to be God. Now, the amazing thing is that when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us, when we give our lives to Jesus, he enables us to incarnate Christ to others so that when we live our lives in the world, we can live in such a way that people will look at us and say, you know what, there's something strange about you. You're not acting and doing what everybody else is doing. You're not feeling what everybody else is feeling. There's something different about the way you behave. And it's Jesus living out in us. It's Jesus' life living out in us. And we're not talking about all the people who are Christians and who slip up and fall. We're talking about those who recognize what it is to give their lives to the Holy Spirit and live in sync with God and live obedient with God. Now, we all mess up from time to time. And the Bible says that the righteous fall seven times but rises again. And it's that rising again and it's that ability to say, okay, we stuffed it up. We didn't get it right this time. Lord Jesus, help me live through me so that I get it right next time. And so I can live out your character next time. And as we do that, we are, as uh, um, Carlos has said, we grow up into a mature adulthood by loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and love our neighbours as Jesus loved us and gave himself up so we love each other. That's the new commandment, to love others as Christ has loved us. And we begin to exude in, in our spiritual maturity, the love and the life of God through us. So our difference is the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. So as we talk about this today, we're talking about a spiritual power. We're not talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like, we've, like healing and the manifestation of tongues and interpretation, prophecy, miracles, faith, or any of those gifts that are, are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. But we're talking about spiritual power to live a different kind of life. It's the sort of life that shows that Christ is alive within us. We're walking in the Spirit, doing what the Spirit wants us to do, and that produces in our life a spiritual power of a different and changed life. So, so we've all been busted. We've all come from broken backgrounds. If you go around the room here and you ask different people, what were you doing before you came to Jesus? And you'll find all kinds of addictions, all kinds of sin, all kinds of things that are really, really horrible. 
That's what our lives were. That's where we lived. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. But when Jesus came and changed us, we put away those childish things. We put away those things and God changed us and he turned us around and made us new. He gave us a new beginning. And as we've learned to grow up in him and walk with him, we walk in the newness of life. We walk in a new way. We walk in a different way than we walked before. We are changed. We are changed to become more like Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when we get to, to see him, we will be as he is. And that's a great joy, isn't it? That as we grow in God and we, as we keep on growing in God, the spiritual power that's in our lives is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that will fly through our lives. And when we go to see him, we will be just like he is because the fruit of God's Spirit will be coming out of us because he's going to help us to do that. The Bible says, faithful is he who called you who also will do it. So we're not striving like in the old covenant to try and be good. This is the case of letting Jesus be good through us. He's able us and enabling us to do it. And he's able to help us and perfect us and to keep us. He said he will sanctify us, our whole spirit, soul and body by his Holy Spirit. He'll just do that. He will do that for us. So if you keep intact with him and if you keep walking with him, he's going to change you. And he's going to change you from one day to another day. So Tomorrow, Danielle, you'll be different than you were yesterday. Isn't that great? If we just keep moving with God, if we just keep a heart open to the Holy Spirit, if we just keep an ear listening to Him, if we wake up in the morning and make the first thing in the morning, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live? If we just walk with Him, He will ensure that every day gets better than the day before. Walking with Jesus is better than the day before. Amen? It doesn't mean that we are going to have beautiful lives without any anxiety in them. But there will be a peace that comes into our lives, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace that God gives us. Today I want to talk to you about peace and anxiety and the different peace that Jesus brings into our lives. When we look at the word peace, we're talking about a state of the lack of havoc or war or, or rage, it's peace between individuals, it's harmony, it's, it's accord, it's um, security and safety, it's prosperity. They use the word felicity. Now, felicity means intense happiness. So if you have a, na- a friend who's called Felicity, her names mean intense happiness. Um, because peace and harmony make things safe and prosperous and secure. And Jesus brings that peace to the inner life that we have. And the devil wants to make it hard for us. He wants to make it very messy for us. And we have come from a very messy background. And Jesus wants to help us. Now, there's four reasons I can think of that makes me feel kind of anxious. And I want to give them to you today. I want to talk to you about the four things that happen in my life that destroys that sense of peace that I have. They come against what God is doing. And these are what they are. The first one is I get anxious if I think that people will say something that will hurt me. Or put me into a situation that make me feel, makes me feel uncomfortable. So I'd rather stay away from that. Any here relate to that one? You get to a situation and you think that, you know, if you're going to be there, you know, somebody's going to say something and it'll hurt you. They'll say something offensive to you and you'll get hurt. And, you know, you know, that just brings a sense of anxiety. Every time I go and mix with people, I get really anxious because somebody's going to say something. They're going to comment about the way I look or the way my hair is or 
or the way I speak or I'm going to feel odd, you know, I'll, go, I'll be in a situation and the, the situation just feels odd. I don't know how to, what, what do I say now? You know, how do, I, how do I act? You know, I don't know what I should be doing here. So, you know, I'm anxious about getting out and mixing with people. My social skills are not that good, you know. I think I'll just stay at home and stay away from people. I'm an introvert. Did you know that? It's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. I am an introvert. I've pushed myself out. But I am I'm one of those guys who likes to or enjoys being alone. It's crazy. Isn't it? And you know why? You know, when you mix to people, when you mix with people, it's a bit anxious sometimes. The second reason I get anxious is when I think about what could happen in the future. And once that starts, my head goes round and round in circles. I just think about all the bad things that could happen in the future. I think about, you know, maybe, you know, when I was younger, my wife would go away and I'd say she'd be coming home at, you know, maybe four o'clock after work and I'd be sitting there and I think, my wife's not home yet. You know, I'd start to think, where is she? What's happened? And, and because I loved her so much, I'd start thinking, maybe she's not going to come back to me. Maybe she's died somewhere. And I'd start thinking, this is terrible. I don't want her to get out of my sight anymore. You know, it's horrible. It goes round and round and round. And then she comes back and, oh, my love, you come home to me. She says, yeah, yeah what's the problem it's just me i get anxious when you go away do you feel that sometimes are you like me sometimes do you feel anxious about what's coming in the future will you get a job will you keep work work's got here you've got work here now but when it dries up what will happen you know will you be able to find someone who will love you someone who will care for you someone who will look after you will you find that one special one or will you be left alone and have cats Or a dog. <laughs> Stop here now. Okay, I mean, there's lots of reasons why we get anxious about things. We think forward. We think, oh, yeah, the world is getting a very horrible place, you know. You just have to look at the news. Look at the terrible things that are happening. What if they start changing things? You know, we don't like change. Change is kind of scary. If you change things all the time, the one thing that makes me feel is very insecure. Maybe you're like me. These are the things that make me feel anxious. I get anxious when I think about the stuff that's, that has happened to me in the past and, and I feel stuck and I can't seem to get over it, you know. I think about stuff that's taken place in the past, things that I did wrong that were really, really wrong and I think, oh, can God ever forgive me for those things? They stick with you. And if I think about them and think about them, I get this sort of feeling of condemnation and I, I, I get anxious about them and I think to myself, maybe Jesus, when he died on the cross, it just wasn't enough to clean that one. Maybe he still remembers that one and he holds it against me and I'll find out when I see him that it, I didn't do enough to get rid of it as though I had to earn my way into heaven. You know, sometimes we do such bad things that when we come to God, we think we have to work harder to pay for the bad. And in doing that, we actually think that it's our working harder for God that is actually paying for the bad. And that's the wrong thing because there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves in there. We're meant to be working because he saved us to work, not because he, we are trying to get in there. A lot of religions. I think that Christianity is about the only religion I can think of if you go through. All of them are works-based. To the Buddhists, you keep on trying and trying through the eight paths, through the eight wheels or the eight spokes of the wheel with all of these things, try and keep trying, that eventually after many reincarnations, you may become good enough. The Hindu has the same sort of mentality. Work hard, work hard. Mormonism is the same sort of thing. It's all about 
Jehovah's Witness, punch on the doors. It's about that. You might get to stay on earth if you do that, you know. It's all about works. Islam is all about works, doing the five pillars of Islam. Do the five pillars. If you do the five pillars, maybe God, who's extremely happy with, unhappy with you, will be happy with you. It's all about works. Christianity is the only one that says, without him, you can do nothing. He is the only way for you to get there. It's not by works. It's by his grace and his grace alone that you are saved. Oh, we thank him for that. Amen? Amen. There's no way we could get to Jesus without Jesus getting to us first. Hallelujah. And the fourth reason I get anxious is I, I see how bad things are getting and I just can't see any solution to the horrible mess. You might be like me, you know, you sit at home and you think things are getting bad here. You know, things are not happening as I would like them to happen. I would like them to happen faster and I'd like to have more money and I'd like to have more opportunities. I'd like to have more status. I'd like to have more ease and I'd like to have all of these things happening very nicely for me so that as I go through life, life can be as happy as it can get to. And then when I die, I'd like to die very nicely, not very unhappily. And I'd like to be able to sort of maybe go to sleep and then wake up in heaven where heaven is going to help me be blissful for the rest of my life, you know. And we see that that's just not like that. We get sick or we know somebody else who gets sick or we lose our job or we run out of money or something happens and it's horrible. We see war happening. We see fighting happening. You know, some foreigners move into our society and all of a sudden our community is, is somehow stressed by different people from different places and different parts of the world who bring their different arguments into the thing. And we, oh, what's we can't seem to fix it. It's getting worse and worse every moment of the day. And we get anxious because we don't feel safe. We used to feel safe. Remember, I could, I could walk out my door when I was a youngster. I could climb on my bike. I could leave the door unlocked. I could ride out into the, into the countryside. I could ride out in the pitch of night and I could turn it around and I could ride back at night. I rang my mother and said, will you come out and get me? I was at Holston, somewhere out there on my bike. I've gone too far, you know, and she can come out and drive and pick me up. Oh, way you ride back, son. So I rode all the way back. I remember that. But it was safe. Your kids could go out in the middle of the day, in the morning, and we would run up to the, the, the pine forest at the top of the hill, Craycroft Hill, and we would play in the forest. We would chase the weasels and the rabbits, and we would play in the forest. We would go into the deep, dark forest and see all the deep, dark things. We would climb through the forest and come up to the house that was on the top of the hills and we would sneak across their lawns and we could steal their oranges from their tree because we were in a safe place. You know what happens now? You know, your daughter goes out night and she doesn't, give, doesn't take the phone and you just, she doesn't ring you, don't know where she is. What happens? You just get really anxious about that because bad things can happen to nice girls. And they can happen very quickly. In fact, our news tells us every day how many bad things happen to very nice people and how they died. Every day. And this reinforces. And you know what? We get anxious because we can't fix the horrid mess. There are no perfect solutions to it. Do you feel that? Are you like me? That you feel that anxiety as well? That's life, isn't it? Living with anxiety. Well, that's life... And it tries to destroy the peace that we have in God. 
It tries to take our focus and attention away from God. A little like Peter when he was walking on the water and Jesus says, come and walk on the water. He stepped out of the boat and he stepped on the water and he began to walk on the water. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. He got a few steps away from the boat and then he started to see the waves around him. And then because he lost his focus on Jesus, he began to sink. And I bet when he was sinking, his peace was completely gone. In fact, we know it was because when he got down to around about his stomach, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus came and picked him up. These are the things that we're told in Luke that Jesus said that would come and that would destroy us if we let them. So he gives a parable. And in the parable, he talks about four soils. And I'm going to talk just very briefly about those four soils. The first one was, was hard ground. He says, when the sower goes out to sow the seed, he sows the seed on hard ground. And he's talking about the state of your heart, where you are in terms of whether you're receiving the word of God, which is the seed or not. He says, if you receive the word of God, it can change you. Well, some of our hearts are like hard ground. You throw the seed onto the hard ground. It doesn't go into the ground, doesn't start to grow, and the birds of the air come and pick it and take it away. Now, some of you are like that this morning. and I mean, You're here at church, and I thank God that you're here, and I praise God that you're listening. But some of your hearts are hard, and you're not listening to receive. You're listening with something else in your mind. Now, I don't know who they are. I don't know what it is. But I know that on the basis of the number of people here, there's going to be some that are on the hard ground. You, you're God will plant the seed, but you're not listening and you're not receiving it. And you're not going to listen and you're not going to receive it. And then what's going to happen is the devil's going to come along and say, I'm glad you didn't listen to that because that could have changed your life, but I'll just take that away. And they'll fly away. And you'll walk out of here and nothing will change. Nothing will change. Nothing's gone in. And nothing will, you'll have received nothing. Some of us will be like that. I hope not very many of us. Then there's those who are going to be here and there's a crack in the ground, but it's a shallow ground. You know, there's not a lot of depth in the soil. And you'll think, oh, this sounds really good. I've never heard it like this before. You know, I like this church. I like the way he preaches. I like the word. It sort of sounds wise, you know. And you'll think, yeah, I think I'll go there again. And you jump up like this is really nice, you know. But you know what happens when you, you spring up to life like that? You start and you're listening and it's all so nice. And he said, but usually what happens is the devil kicks you in the gut halfway through next week. So it starts off and you think it's good, but you don't come back a second time because life just opened up on you and it was horrible and you thought, ah, if this is what being a Christian is, well, going to follow Jesus, times get tougher and times do get tougher when you follow Jesus. I don't think I want anything of that. So you, you wither and die. The, the, the seed leaps up in the ground, the sun comes out, it bur- burns it and it dies. That's the second soil. The third one, he says, is this one here. Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit into maturity. So you actually will take the the word of God into your spirit and you'll receive it and you'll start to grow. You'll probably come again and again and you'll get your own Bible and you'll read it and you'll be reading it and reading it and you'll say, that's really nice, and you'll grow strong and vigorous. But when it comes time to be fruitful to really do something, to produce something in your life, to bring something out of your life that is beneficial to others, you'll give me the line, oh, I'm really busy. I've got lots of things I've got to do. Um, you know, I have to work. 
I mean, it's important that I get a job and, and keep a job. You know, oh, listen, this, you know, when I come here, I get a lot of flack from other people. You know, I, I don't think I can handle that sort of criticism. You know, you'll give me all the cares and the anxieties for the reasons why you can't bring something out of your life that is beneficial for others. Jesus wants to help you right there. He wants to give you some weed killer so you can kill the weeds off that stop you from becoming like the good soil. I think these are all stages in our life and I, and I think that we grow through them. I think that we grow through them. Don't let them be the condition of your life. Don't be hard ground and always a hard ground. If you're hard ground, let God break you up a little bit. Uh, you'll go through the stage of being shallow and being tempted to be burned up but stay with it, you know. And then you'll go through this stage where the weeds will come and try and choke you out. But just stay with it. Stay with it. Because if you keep with it and you let God change you, you will bring forth fruit in your life. So, yeah, there's going to be tough times for us. And some of you may be in tough times. But where do we get the peace of God in those tough times? Because times are very tough in our society. How many people got a TV in your room? Or in your house. Put your hand up if you've got a TV. I'm not going to box you for having a TV. How many of you watch the news on a regular basis? If there's something you watch on a regular basis, it's probably be the news. Put your hand up if you watch the news on a regular basis. Okay. The news is not that... A current affair program, something like that. The current affair news or something like that. They're not that peaceful. They're not, they don't produce a lot of peace in you. In fact, they, they can make you feel completely upset at the end of them. In fact, at the end of watching the news, you can be shaking your head and thinking to yourself, I'm upset now. I've learned some things about our society. I understand what's going on in the Middle East. I understand what's happening. There's a plane just been shot down in Egypt. So, oh, and it was somebody shot a plane down with 200 passengers in it, seven, 14 kids, or, and you think, you know, this is horrible, you, and you can go away. I saw the saw footing, saw footage of, of women in, in, in New Guinea being beaten up because they were expected to be sorcerers or something. You think, oh, this is really disturbing me. Your heart can be disturbed by all the stuff. Where does the peace come from? Well, the Bible says the peace comes from the Prince of Peace. And who is the Prince of Peace? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read these. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What a wonderful name. What a wonderful title. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He has peace. He brings peace. He's able to give you peace. And then what we learned tonight, today, in, in the, in the, is that he himself is our peace. He broke down, made, um, the, one says he broke down the wall of petition, but he, who made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now, in the, Greek, in the Jewish uh, tabernacle, they had a, a wall that separated the Jews from the Greeks or from anybody who was a non-Jew. Everybody who was a Jew could go in behind the wall and they could get in to get closer to God. But if you're a non-Jew, how many people are Jews here? Put your hand up if you're a Jew. Nobody here is a Jew. So you're a non-Jew like me, a Gentile. We had to hang on the outside of this wall. We weren't allowed to get too close to God. Are you a Jew? Did you? Oh, you're just waving the fly away. 
don't move here, I can see everything. <laughs> don't go to sleep, I can see that too. <laughs> he broke down the wall. That means when Jesus came along, he said, you Jews are over here and you think you're entitled, but listen, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down the wall and I'm going to bring the Gentiles in as well. I'm going to make them too one. Now, what we have is a major problem here because we have cultural differences, major cultural differences. Here we have God's chosen people, the Jews, and they felt kind of entitled because they were God's chosen people, the Jews, and they didn't like to mix with anybody else. They called everybody else who wasn't a Jew a dog. Everybody go, woof. We have some dogs here. We were dogs. And they wouldn't mix with us. They wouldn't have anything to do with us. And they, they protested if Jesus was going to try and heal anybody. The, the woman who came with a demonic child was a Syrophoenician woman. And she came and they said, send her away. She's Syrophoenician. She's not a Jew. Send her away. And Jesus says, well, it would be wrong for me to give the children's bread, Jewish food, to, to Dogs, you know, little dogs. And she says, even the little dogs eat the crumbs off the table. And she says, wow, Jesus says, wow, what incredible faith this woman has. And he says, go away. It's all been happening. He broke down the wall that divided us. He breaks down cultural differences. He breaks down all the things that separate us in life. It, it, it might not be just be culture. It may be just the way you are, just the, the way you are different to somebody else. And there's a wall built up there. The way that Ruth is different to me, and we can say, I don't like Ruthie because she's different to me. She has blonde hair and I have dark hair. I hate blonde people. You know, It can be just something silly like that. But Jesus breaks down all the dividing walls that separate us. And he gives us some common ground to stand on. You can't go to heaven unless you go through Jesus. And every one of us needs that. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, dark hair, or blonde hair, red, it doesn't matter what you are, it doesn't matter what your culture is. At the end of the exercise, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he brings us all to God. He breaks down all those walls. He is the peace that we have with God because he is the way toward God. And we all want to have peace with God. He provides that peace for us. And he said he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity or the hatred. He puts to death. He says, look, no point in being angry with each other. It's only the bad things inside of you that make you angry, the sin and the jealousy and all that stuff. He says, I've died for all of that. Just give that all away. Love one another now. Love God with all your heart and love each other like I, want to, I love you. He says, and then he preached peace to us, to us who are far off. In Australia, he preached peace to us, that we could get back to God. Someone somewhere along the line had to preach the gospel to someone near you, wherever you were. You were far away from Israel at the time. And they preached peace to you and brought you to a place where you could have an opportunity to know God and have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did for us. He became our peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, you get that feeling about him when he's standing with his disciples and he knows he's going to be killed and he knows he's going to be tortured and he knows it's going to be difficult for them. He knows he's going to go away. But he's going to send the Holy Spirit and he wants them to, he wants them to be strong. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where you are, 
where I am, there you may be also. And so he told them, hang on, don't get stressed, I'm coming back. And we had a little granddaughter last night living with us, uh, staying with us last night. Mum and dad went out to some things and she woke up after mum had gone to bed and she started, mummy and daddy, mummy. And then it was like, Nana's not enough. And Nana usually is enough, you know, and it's like, Papa's not enough. I, nothing I could get to her, I couldn't talk to her. And then the other one rings up, you know, wakes up, and it's two of them there awake. And we've got the other one sleeping in the other room. I'm thinking, wait a minute, if three comes here, we have the trinity of, of danger happening here. So the other one, we just take them out of the other. I ring out, you better come home. We've got uh, trouble on the front, home front, you know. Why? Separation anxiety. Well, it happens with kids and it happens with us with God too, you know. And Jesus doesn't want us to have separation anxiety. He's trying to tell us, you know, I'm going to leave you with someone who's going to help you. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, he says, but the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said. I'm going to send somebody who's going to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he says, you're going to have some peace that's going to reside forever. He's going to be with you. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will bring peace with him. And he will be there. So how do I have peace with God? Well, I have to respond to Jesus' invitation. Jesus' invitation says something like this. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest is peace, you know. You can't sleep unless you are in a place of safety and security. Just try it, you know. I mean, some of us try to sleep on the road. That's not really good, is it? Uh, in between red and dark, red and, you know, lights, the light goes red. You sit down there, you close your eyes for a few minutes, just, and, doot, doot, and you can get wake up and go again. Don't do that. It's not a good thing. Okay, you won't run off the road if you do it at stop sites. It's just if you do it in between stop signs, that's the problem, you know, as you're going between, yeah. You can't really, though, rest, really go for a deep sleep unless you feel that you're safe and secure. You'll be the one that lays down in bed and your wife will say, did you lock the front door? Well, I think I did. Are you sure? Well, I'm not sure. Okay, I'll get up, check the front door, come back. Yes, I did lock the front door, dear. Okay. Good night. Uh, did you lock the garage door? Okay, I'll, um, I'll go and check to see if I've just locked the garage door. Get up over there. Go down there. Yep, the garage door's locked. Yep, yep. I'll come back to there. Good night, love. Are all the windows shut? Well, some of us can't rest and some of us can't rest until we know we're safe and secure. There's no peace within us until we can feel safe. And some of us don't feel safe with God because we know that inside the guilt that we feel about the stuff that we've done has never been resolved. It's never been taken away. And we feel that if we were to face God now, we would have problems on our hands. There's no peace there. There's no safety there. And Jesus says, if you're burdened like this, if this is your heart, it's been weighed down and you've got no rest, he says, take my yoke and learn from me. He says, the yoke is the teaching of Jesus. Come and take the teaching of Jesus and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. 
Some of us need to have rest on the inside. We get tossed and turned by all the things inside of us. We have no peace on the inside. We would like to have peace. We would like to be able to go through life with a happy look on our face and have happiness flying from the inside of us, but it's not there on the inside. We are troubled deeply on the inner side of ourselves. We can't have any peace there. Everybody else looks like they're going well, but inside we toss in bed at night. We wake at night time. We think about the things that we do. We are troubled deeply by the stuff that we've been involved with, by the future. Anxiety is all over us. We have no peace. And Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke upon me. Receive the word of God on the ground. Don't be hard now. Open up to the word of God. Let it take root in your life. He says, you'll find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he says. But when there's sin in your life and sin is doing the wrong thing and you know it's the wrong thing because conscience is the thing that God put in us to tell us when we were doing the wrong thing. You wonder where you got that, hey, conscience. That's one of the significant things that marks us out as people who created in the image. You go, no, 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 we didn't come from a monkey because monkeys don't display conscience. We do, however, and conscience is the rule of right and wrong that God has placed within our hearts and he's placed it within our hearts because he wants us to be in contact with the one who knows right and wrong. We're told at the beginning we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we were like God, we knew the difference between right and wrong. Hey, that's us. We know that. And sin is where we have done wrong and we know it's wrong and we are living with it and we don't know what to do with it. It's there resting on us. And there are none that are right who have never sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God is perfect and right and none of us are that good. We all missed it. Some of us have fixed that problem up because we've gone to Jesus and said, I'm sorry, I've missed it. I'm a sinner. And he says, you know what, I'll fix it for you. But some of you here today have never gone to Jesus and asked him to fix it. So you live with it. So if I want to get rid of the sin in my life, I have to come to Jesus and say, you know what? I have to come to you and ask you to deal with the sin. Take away the sin. And he will take it away. And you say, I remind you, he says, I died for that. If you ask me to cover you, I will cover you. If you believe in me, what I did on the cross, you can say, I did it for you. I was punished in your place. And when the bill has been paid, there's nobody else to pay. I mean, someone pays your phone bill and the phone bill is paid. You don't have to, you don't have to front. You say, I'd like to pay my phone bill. Oh, somebody's already paid your phone bill. Well, is there anything? I, no, no, you, you, we can't give you anything. You can't pay it because it's already been paid. It's the same with Jesus. When Jesus pays your debt before God, you come up to God and oh, I've got this debt. He says, well, you thought you did, but you know, Jesus paid the debt. All I can see is what Jesus did on you. There's nothing owing. You're standing clean before God. Hey, that's a nice one. Hey, let that sink down into the core of you. You'll find some peace there. You know, no anxiety about facing God. It'll be, oh, God, I'm standing. Oh, Jesus loves me. So when we do something wrong in life, there's usually two things that we do. We either don't do something we ought to do or we do something we shouldn't do. Turn to your neighbor and say, have you done something you oughtn't have done? 
Now turn back to the other person and say, did you miss doing something you should have done? That's sins, you know, both of those are sins. So if both of those things are sins, then there's going to be some things that we're going to have to start to do new because sin is not doing what we ought to do. So we're going to have to start to doing new things because that's not, that will be, that means we're changed, you know. And then we're going to have to stop doing some things that we're doing because if we sin is also doing something that we shouldn't do, then we'll have to stop doing some stuff. So we'll have to do both. We'll have to start doing new things and we'll have to start do, stop doing old things. Turn to your neighbour and says, you'll have to stop doing old things. Okay, now turn to them and say, you'll have to start doing some new things. Okay, all right. Now we've got that sort of... This is what David says. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why so disturbed within you? He just says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Now you've got to remember who what David was like. I mean, David was, a, was a, a naughty boy at the best of times. He was bad sometimes. He was seriously bad. I mean, he killed people, committed adultery, had children with... Oh, dear. We don't... Oh, mate, if I'd done that, you would kick me out of the ministry. I wouldn't get another say. I'd be gone. You'd put a bullet through my head and say, you're out of here for life. But that was David. You know what? And God said to David, he was a man after my own heart. Woo! How did he have that? How could he be a man after his own heart, but yet be a bad boy? Well, he didn't do it, the bad stuff. Well, he did the bad stuff, but you know what? He knew that God was going to look after him. When God showed him the bad things, he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. Create in me a new heart. Renew your spirit within me. And he was really sorry about it. So he started to do new things. Oh, I didn't mean he didn't get punished. He got punished for what he did. But he knew what it was to have a saviour. A saviour. A saviour is someone who's going to save you. saviour is somebody who's going to look after you. Some of you need a saviour in your life. You can't do it yourself. If you keep on trying to swim the way you're trying to swim, you're going to drown and you're going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. You are not going to make it when you get to God. You're not going to be there in front of God. You say, I've tried my hardest. I did what I could. I put all my money in the plate. I tried to be nice to people in the end of the exodus, but it wasn't good enough. You can't save yourself. You need a saviour. And David knew that. At the bottom of the exercise, after he'd been such a bad lad, he said, God is my saviour. And he knew the heart of God. He's a good, good father. He knew he was a good, good father. He knew that he was his child and that it was loved by him. And he just rested there. He got peace there from God. Some of you need to go to God and say, I can't do this by myself. I need a saviour. You've got to be my saviour, Jesus. You've got to save me from myself. You've got to be saving me from my sin. You've got to be saving me from the pit of hell. Jesus, I need a saviour. Turn to the person beside you and say, I need a saviour. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that God justifies us. Now, justification is an interesting word, and there are some words that we, 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 to get around, you've got to try and understand it. God makes it, and the word justified means, just as if I had never sinned. That's what justified means. Just as if I had never sinned. So Naomi, when you ask Jesus into your heart, you come and stand before Jesus, 
He makes you on the inside just as if you had never done anything wrong. Wow. Think that one through. Just let that rest a little while with you. Think about all the nasty things that you think about yourself and all the bad things that you think that you're like and how unhappy you are about the way you've deformed and the way you've let everybody down and the way you've let God down. And the way... Just stop there and think that Jesus has made you just as you had never sinned. That's the way he sees you. Phil, that's the way he sees you. I mean, I can sit down and talk with you, Phil, and find out all about the things that you've done in the past. You remember them, don't you? I could tell you the things I've done too. I reckon we could compare our lists, our bad lists. And then we could fall into a little pity party of feeling how bad and how sorry we are for ourselves if we wanted to. Or we could stop the pity party and say, you know, in spite of all the bad things that we have done, <laughs> Jesus has made me just as if I had never sinned. Oh. I had a woman come to me and she protested. She protested about being saved. I'd prayed for her the, day before, the week before and she came to me and she was angry with me. She was so angry with me. Why are you angry? Well, she said, I thought things were, Jesus was going to do things for me. She says, I went and visited my boyfriend on Wednesday night. So I saw her on the Saturday. She went and visited her boyfriend Wednesday night and she thought that she could, She's 41. She was going to have a, a sexual relationship with a boyfriend on Wednesday night. Well, that's called sexual immorality. That's a bad thing, okay? The Bible says don't do that. Well, I could have figured, you know. You start here and the devil comes in to try and trip you up. It's what I said to you before. You know, you start for God and things get tough. So she come on Wednesday night and she got to her boyfriend's place and they had lovely love. Well, she come home and she felt this deep, deep sense of sadness and grieving in her heart and such guilt. And then she got angry with me. Well, she got angry with me because I'm the one who prayed for her and made her feel so nice and so right with God. And now she's just stuffed up. She's really angry because she feels so bad and guilty. So on the following Saturday, she comes to my place and says, I'm really angry at you, Mark. I said, what did I do? She said, you made me feel so good and clean, you know. I said, what happened? She told me what happened. She told me all the details. I thought, oh, well, not really all the details as much as I, I really wanted to listen to. But anyway, she says, and I said, when was the last time you felt so dirty? She said, when I was about 13, when I lost my virginity. Think this one through, I said to her. When you gave Jesus your life, he made you like a virgin again. He made your heart as clean as a virgin. Here you are, 41, but when you are 13 or 14, you lost your virginity. You stopped feeling guilty and bad about that, you were... Dirty from that time on. 41, he gave you a clean, new, fresh heart. Clean as a virgin. And you're, you're worried about that? I would have been rejoicing about that. He made me new. He made me clean. He had just as if I had never sinned. He took away all the guilt and all of the shame. You don't want him? No, I don't want him. I want to go back to what I had before. That's your choice. That's your choice. Listen, but that's how good it gets. He take away the sin and make you clean again. Just as if you had never, 
ever stuffed your life up. And man, wouldn't you like to start? Wouldn't you like to say, oh, just if I could start over again, I'd make some, as long as I could start over again and have the same mind I have today as I did before. Well, here you are, Jesus says, start over again and you've got the same mind, live like you're new. Behold, all things, he says, have become new. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He's justified us. Hey, that's something to do about how do we maintain this peace then we have from God, this wonderful new relationship that we have. How do we maintain that? Well, the Prince of Peace is the way of peace. Maintenance of this peace has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus. So if you come in and say, okay, I'm going to church from now on. From now on, I'll be good for you. See, you're like Pinocchio. You're going you're gonna to strive and try and do it yourself. And when somebody says, how are you going? You're going to tell her eyes and your nose is going to grow. And we all know it because we know when noses grow long here. You know, it's not about how you perform your rituals. So many churches get stuck in the tradition. That, you know, you have to perform the ritual. How much money did you give to the church this week? Well, if you didn't, well, 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 how much did you, what did you do? It's like you have to do all, tick all these boxes. Christians don't drink, they don't smoke. As though in the performance of these things, this is the thing that makes you right. Peace does not come from the performance of ritual or duty. Peace comes from the Prince of Peace who you live with on a daily basis. Peace comes through him, and he shows you the way. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. So when I'm feeling anxious, and my peace seems to go away, not, not gone away, it's, 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 it's been stressed, I, I stop and I say, Oh God, Jesus, you never leave me, nor will you ever forsake me. Help me to get a handle around this. He says, settle down, Mark. It's okay. I've got everything in control and my peace returns. When we found out that our daughter had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, she was stage four along the exercise, it was not a good day. When we took her to hospital because she'd started to swell up and she'd started to cover with a rash and the doctor said if he hadn't brought her in, she would have been dead in two days. Wasn't a good day. Jen and I stood and we looked at our precious girl, beautiful girl, 18-year-old she was, and we thought to ourselves, we've had 18 years of, of wonderful life with Renee. This is beautiful. You know, if she goes now, she goes now. But God said to me, I'm not going to take her. Why? Because my daughter kept on saying, it's all good. It's all good. I said, how can it be all good, Renee? How can it be all good? Well, I asked God, she said, I asked God, all the people that you use, all the people that you use go through hard times. I've been raised in a nice family. I have a nice mum and a nice dad. He's not quite perfect, but he's okay. And everything is smooth. And I have had no hard times. And then she prayed this, God, where are my hard times? And she says, now I know what my hard times are, Daddy. And I thought, my good night, I wouldn't have prayed that prayer. <laughs> it wasn't a good day. And if I had tried to have peace, it wouldn't have come. But it was the Prince of Peace who held our hand. It was him who doesn't change, who said to me, it's all good it doesn't matter. It's okay. And we hung on. And you know what? We didn't go through. We would see people come in and they'd say, oh, Renee, and she's bald and she's bloated and she looks like she's dying. And she would cuddle them. And they'd go, oh, 
they're falling apart because they could only see her death. And her daughter would comfort them. And we would comfort them. We had peace in the storm because the Prince of Peace was with us in the boat. And he was in control. It was beautiful. And they said, after a treatment, you won't have any children. You're probably going to go into menopause. She dropped into menopause. Hot sweats and stuff. Stopped the menstruation. But we had peace. God is big. Now I have three grandsons. We serve a big God. I sought the Lord and he heard my cry and delivered me from all of my fears. First Peter chapter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the thing, you know. It's humble yourself under the hand of God is a relational thing. It's not picking up the chairs and picking up the papers and cleaning the toilets. He says, humble yourself under the hand of God. Sit down before God. Get down and say, you know what? I stuffed my life up so bad. I think that I'm so broken that I don't think I'm useful for anything. But if you can use me, please take this broken piece of nonsense and use it. And he'll come back to you and say, you know what? Stand up, son. And right there you'll know something. You're chosen. And he's made you clean. It's about living with Jesus. It's about humbling with Jesus. It's about not doing your own thing. Not doing what you think you ought to do. It's doing what he wants you to do. It's about casting all your anxieties upon him. I sometimes get phone calls from people and they're full of anxiety. They just go... And they say, after I finish, they say... Well, after they finish, they say, oh, thank you for listening. I feel so much better now. How do I feel? Well, I don't care, Jesus. You just take it as the talking <laughs> and carry it away. I said, that's good. Give it to Jesus. He knows how to handle that stuff. He's handled a lot worse than that. Whatever you're going through, give it to Jesus. And at the peace of God. Come and guard your heart. Do not be anxious about anything, but by, in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all under... You won't understand why it's there. There's no reason that you can have peace in such a terrible situation. The peace of God, God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow doesn't matter what you face. doesn't matter if the world gets very ugly and you get persecuted for your faith. If you've got Jesus there, the peace will remain. I only have to read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and find out how some of them died. You see that they had peace even though they were dying and the people who were killing them did not have the peace. Colossians chapter 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you would... Called in one body and be thankful. That's the old King James Version. So the peace of God can rule in our hearts. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So you have to actually get your mind out of this old thinking the bad ways all the time and get it into thinking, Jesus, if I keep you in my mind, if I keep focusing on you, if I keep you there, if I keep talking to you, if I keep put my hand in your hand, if I keep walking together, you know what? This is kind of kooky stuff right there. It's kooky. You know why? Because you're talking to a, an invisible friend. My daughter had an invisible friend when she was growing up. His name was Kevin. Where can he go? He can go anywhere, Daddy. I said, okay. Can he jump into my cup? Yeah, he can jump in. Tell Kevin to jump into my cup. Is he in the cup? Yeah, he was in the cup. I said, can he swim? He said, yeah, he can swim. So I poured some stuff in there. Is he swimming now? He's swimming. <laughs> and that was the end of my... Little friend. Daddy, he's gone. <laughs> no more invisible friends for little JD. Yep, but Jesus, you can't swallow like that. He's there all the time. I mean, Jesus is there. He's spirit and he's there with you. You can feel him. He speaks to you. They were laying in bed in the middle of the night and these words come through your mind. You say, where did those words come from? And God's telling you, this is what I want you to do. Morning by morning, he wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. He's talking to me. He's speaking to me. He's, he's encouraging me. Prayer is just not speaking to God. It's God speaking to you and you're hearing it. It's living in this wonderful relationship where God lives with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. It's living in a trust relationship with Jesus who is present that keeps the peace there. This is not religious tradition. This is walking with your friend who other people can't see. He's not an imaginary friend. He's a real person who lives with you. And you all think I'm kooky? No, I don't think so. Some of you may think I'm kooky, but listen. What happens is the devil tries to undermine this and he tries to take it away from you. And part of your spiritual warfare is what this passage says here. We walk in the flesh and do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We have to cast down arguments and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The thing about walking with Jesus is the devil will try and tell you he's not there. You're all alone. And then your peace will come undone and the wheels will come off the cart and you'll start feeling stressed. and f Stop it and say, devil, go away. Jesus, you never leave me, nor will you ever forsake me. Turn to your neighbor and say, he never leaves. He is always there. He sees it all. He knows it all. And he's in control of it all. So I give it to him in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will be health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Friends, we have a friend in Jesus. We have someone who is with us. He is the Prince of Peace. We don't have to lose it. We don't have to be stressed. We don't have to have anxiety. We don't have to have fear. We can live with Jesus. Let's stand up, shall we?
I don't know where you are today. You might have come here and you had stress on the inside. You might have been thinking about stuff and feeling guilty about stuff. Well, we don't know what you did last night or the week before or where your head really is. None of us knew that, but Jesus does. Jesus knows that. And if you don't like living with yourself, you find a kind of unrest on the inside and you want to come to Jesus and you want to give it to him and say, Lord Jesus, I don't think that I want to spend the rest of my life trying to handle this unrest on the inside. I want some peace inside. Will you come into my life, Prince of Peace, and will you change me? I want to give you that opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your life, the Prince of Peace, to take away the bad stuff and to give you rest on the inside. I want you to close your eyes now. Everybody with their eyes closed. If you want Jesus to bring peace to your heart and you have stress in your life, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to pray this prayer with me. Raise your hand. If there's stress in your life and you want Jesus to bring that. Some of you may be Christians already. Some of you may be struggling. But I want to tell you, you don't have to struggle. You need to give it to Jesus. Some of you may never have even contemplated what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. But today you want to just open up and let Jesus come into your life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right now. Dear Lord Jesus, we pray for those who have their hands raised right now. Lord, speak peace into the storm. Lord Jesus, help them to recognize your presence with them. For those who are coming to you because their hearts are challenged them, Father, because they're feeling a sense of conviction and guilt in their lives, Father, Forgive them, Lord Jesus, and justify them and cleanse them from all sin, Lord Jesus. They come to you and ask, oh God, that you help them, Lord Jesus. The righteous fall seven times, but they rise again. Help them to rise again, Lord Jesus, and to walk with you. Help them to walk hand in hand with you, Jesus, and follow you and to do what you ask them to do, Lord Jesus. And Lord, for those who have never met you, Father, and who are sitting here and it's all weird for them, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit just speaks to them. Help them see, Lord Jesus. You are the Prince of Peace. Real life is had when they come to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.